Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And then we'll move to Genesis chapter 9 and read. The book of Ephesians chapter 1, 9 and 10, it reads, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Genesis chapter 9, please. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Let's bow for prayer. Lord God, we bless you for the privilege of singing your praises. And as we now devote this portion of time to study, the study of your eternal word, O Spirit of God, I pray that you would be our teacher, our guide. And Lord God, I pray that you'd meet each one at that point of need spiritually. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and pray. Amen. The book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, is foundational to the whole Bible foundational to the whole Bible. If we fail to accurately interpret this book, it will affect our interpretation of the rest of the Bible. The book of Genesis is to be read and interpreted literally. That's where we begin. It's to be read and interpreted literally at face value. That is, God said what he meant and meant what he said. The Bible teaches us in the early chapters of the book of Genesis that God created. God created in six literal days. The Bible defines the day, the morning and the evening as a day. So God created all things in six literal 24-hour days. God could have chosen to create within a day, but God saw fit to create in six literal 24-hour days. 
And as we continue to read the early chapters of the book of Genesis, we read of some real people, Adam and Eve, who lived in a garden called the Garden of Eden. And then we read of the entrance of sin into the world and they were cast out of the garden. And we read of a flood, a universal flood, where waters covered the highest peak of the earth. And that takes us from chapter 6 to chapter 8. And now we find ourselves in chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. So we read of creation, we read of the fall, we read of a universal flood, and now we come to chapter 9. And from chapters 9 to 11 of the book of Genesis, we have God addressing a, a new dispensation, a new period of time, where God chooses to work uniquely. And as we noted there in Ephesians chapter 1, the reference to dispensations that God works in ages, in periods of time, we note there in Genesis from 1 to chapter 3, we're in the Garden of Eden. And then from chapter 3, we are excluded from the Garden of Eden. And we, and we read of man's depravity to the point where God said, I've had enough and I'm going to destroy all living and we'll start again. And now we come to chapter 9 and the Bible teaches us that God blessed Noah. And God said to Noah there in verse number 1, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1 to 3 gives us a period of time that is known as the dispensation of innocence. But they came to an end because of disobedience to God. Man was cast out of the Garden of Eden. And that innocence was engulfed in sin. And man had an active conscience. And that's the essence of the next period of time from chapters 4 all the way to chapter 8. Some term it as the age of conscience where man is very much aware of what pleases God and what doesn't please God. We read of Cain killing Abel, the first recorded murder in the scriptures. We see man's heart becomes more depraved to where God said, I've had enough, but we're going to start all over again. And all those outside of the ark perish, the Bible teaches us. But Noah and his family and land animals and the fowls of the air after their kind were preserved within the ark. So here in chapter 9 we have post-flood era. A new period of time, a new dispensation of God's working. 
Now in Noah leaving the ark, he's commissioned there in verse number 1 to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth, to spread out, to be fruitful, to multiply and replenish the earth. And in verse number 2, God assures him of dominion. Dominion over the animal kingdom. And not only dominion, but God also promises to provide Noah's needs. Note there in verses 3 and 4, please. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So God promises Noah dominion, and God said to Noah, Noah, I'm going to provide for your needs. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to replenish the earth. And then we read on in verses 5 and 6 that man is given authority to administer his laws. Note then verse 5 and 6, please, of Genesis 9. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. And note verse 6, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So we see here that man is given authority to, to administer, to administer his laws. And here in verse number 6, God tells us very plainly that man has been created in the image of God and if one takes the life of another, he forfeits his own life. That's Bible. If you take the life of somebody purposely, then you forfeit to live. And God said, because man is created in the image of God. So we see here that man is given authority to administer law. And then we read on in chapters 9, 10, and 11... We also note within this group of, uh, of chapters a sharp contrast. Before the flood, there is no mention of kings or kingdoms before the flood. But if you turn with me to chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, please, we have the first mention of a kingdom led by a man called Nimrod, chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty man of the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And note there verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom 
was Babel, and Erech, and Arkad, and Cani in the land of Shinai. And note verse 11, out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Calah. So we not only read of a city, a we read of a kingdom, we read of cities, and then we note then verse number 12, it goes on to read, and reason between Nineveh and Calah, the same is a great city. So from chapter 9 of Genesis, we begin to uh, read of kingdoms, we begin to read of cities, so we are entering into a new age, dispensation, period of time, where man is given the authority to administer law. So we read of cities, we read of rulers, we are told that within their kingdom authority is given by these civilians to exercise judgment upon evildoers and we noted an example of that there in chapter 9 verse 6 whoever sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed so man is given authority to carry out law and order we read of cities we read of kingdoms But up until this point, we don't read of kingdoms. We don't read of cities. But sadly, this new power given to man to govern was abused. And we see this in the building of the Tower of Babel. If you go into chapter 11, please, of the book of Genesis. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Remember back in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, that God said to Noah, be fruitful, be multiplied, replenish the earth, spread out, spread out. And note here in chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, the Bible reads the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of China and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So note what takes place here. What did God tell Noah back in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. But unfortunately, these, this people group of one language at this point decided to stay together and had this ambitious idea of 
building a tower in order to reach heaven and to build a name of themselves and determine that they would not be scattered but they would stay together. So we see that this power, this authority, this privilege, this provision that God provided for Noah and his family to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, and God promised to provide for them, but God said, spread out. The world needs to be repopulated. But as they did repopulate, they decided we're going to stay together. And we see this in the building of the Tower of Babel. The building of the tower was to unite the people. God wasn't pleased, so God intervened. And the Bible teaches us he brought many languages into existence. Therefore, there was no option but to scatter. Note there verses 7 to 9, please of Genesis 11. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, or Confusion. Because the Lord did there confound their language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. So we see that within this particular period of time or this age or this dispensation for a better word, it ends with confusion. In chapter 9, God said to Noah, be fruitful, multiply replenish, I give you dominion, I will provide your needs, I will give you authority to carry out my laws. But man decided to do his own thing and did the absolute opposite. So this age ends with confusion. And as we've just read there in chapter 11, verses 7 to 9, Man cannot be trusted with responsible government, which is an awful shame. This period of time covered in Genesis 9, 10 and 11 is otherwise known as the age of government or the dispensation of government. God works through dispensations. God has worked through uh, different ages, periods of time. And as we noted there in Ephesians chapter 1, Christ is at the centre of every dispensation. Jesus Christ is central to all the scriptures. And the unfolding plan of redemption is evident within every age, within every dispensation. So we see from within these chapters that man can, cannot be trusted with responsible government. So God had to provide a remedy. And we read there in the book of Isaiah, 
Note there Isaiah, please, chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The Bible reads, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah foretold of a coming Messiah. He said that he said that he will govern in righteousness and he will govern with ultimate authority. Genesis 9, 10 and 11, this period of time, this dispensation confirms the fact that man needs God's government. We need governing. Man left to himself equates to a disaster. And this is what we see today. Man turning his back on God and coming up with the most ridiculous solutions to man's problems because we have ignored the law of God. We have turned our back on our creator. So therefore, man is in need of government. Man is in need of leadership. And Isaiah the prophet said that one will be born of a virgin and he will govern in righteousness. See, man cannot be trusted with responsible government. And as we've noted there in Genesis 9, 10 and 11, this dispensation confirms the fact that man needs to be governed. See, all authority stems back to God, the Bible teaches us. And as we yield to God's governance over our lives, we will be able to govern those that God has put under our care. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, teaches us that very fact, that all authority stems back to God. Let me ask you this morning, does Jesus Christ govern your life? Does Jesus Christ govern your life? Or are we like the people of old there in the book of Genesis where they just decided to do their own thing. God made it very clear to them that they were to be fruitful, they were to multiply, they were to spread out. They did the absolute opposite. The end result? Confusion. And when you and I fail 
to allow God to govern our lives, there will be confusion. Because God gives clarity and we need leadership because the Bible teaches us all we like sheep have gone astray. We need a shepherd. We need guidance. And Christmas is all about a saviour that has come to govern, to lead your life and my life. And as we submit to the Lordship of Christ, we submit to his governance over our lives, we can live a life that is blessed of God. And we can enjoy God's anointing upon our lives. Let me ask you this morning, does Jesus Christ govern your life? Or are you just simply doing your own thing? Be warned. That leads to confusion. That'll lead to confusion. See, God knows what's best for us. And it's so critically important that you and I yield to his guidance, to his leadership. So we see within Genesis 9, 10 and 11, the age of government or the dispensation of government and because man would not yield to God's leadership, God's laws, God's direction, this section ends with confusion. And now we move into Genesis chapter 12, please. From Genesis chapter 12 until the end of the book of Genesis, we have a dominating theme. These chapters are commonly referred to as the age of promise. This age encompasses the patriarchs. It begins with Abraham and how God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And God gave him some unconditional promises summed up in the Abrahamic covenant spelled out there in Genesis chapter 12, please, verses 1, 2, and 3. It reads, And the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse him that curseth thee. And note this little phrase, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Through your seed, Abraham, all the families of the earth we bless. Here we find a definite promise. A promise. See, God gave 
Abraham some unconditional promises. Summed up within these verses. You will become a great nation. I'll give you a land. The land of Israel. It's as simple as that. And Abraham, I'm going to use your lineage to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And as we read on in the scriptures, Abraham's seed becomes a nation. And God gave him a land. And God promised that through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed in and through his seed. And this promise is confirmed within the book of Genesis and in the pages of the Old Testament. And then we move on into the New Testament. Note there, please, in Acts chapter 3. Acts, the book of Acts, the third chapter. As part of Peter's sermon, note here what he said here in verse 25 and 26. Acts chapter 3 verses 25 and 26. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham... And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Does that sound familiar? Unto you first God, verse 26, having raised up his son Jesus and sent him to bless you. So God said to Abraham that in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, the end of verse 25, as Peter preached, he said, Thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. What is this blessing that comes from the lineage of Abraham? Verse 26 Unto you first God, having raised up his son, Jesus sent him to bless you. Therein is the blessing, the promise of a saviour for the whole world. So through the lineage of Abraham, we have the promise made of a saviour. Abraham had a son called Isaac. He was the promised seed through which the Messiah will come. Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And through his son Judah, the Messiah will come. See, God said to Abraham, you will be a great nation. I'll give you a land. And through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is in reference to the Saviour. That's why we celebrate Christmas. 
Unto you is born in the city of David this day a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. He is the Saviour of the world. Note then Revelation chapter 5, please. Revelation chapter 5. From the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, the seed of Judah, from the lineage of David, will come a Saviour. None other than Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. The scene is in heaven. And it reads, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. This is in reference to Jesus Christ. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. So we see within this stage how God preserved his people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, And through the second youngest son of Jacob, Joseph, God preserved the family, a core of some 70. And from that number, the nation of Israel was developed. Joseph is a wonderful picture of the Messiah to come. And if we had time, we would study chapters 37 all the way through to chapter 50 of the book of Genesis. And we note his impeccable life. A wonderful picture of the Messiah to come in the life of Joseph. A wonderful type. Joseph was rejected. Jesus Christ was rejected. Joseph was sold into slavery. Jesus Christ was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph becomes the saviour of his people. Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world. A wonderful picture of our saviour. So we see that God promised and he kept his promise the promise of a savior a blessing for all through his lineage and that is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and we find from Genesis chapter 2 until the end of the book of Genesis this period known as the period of the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the sons of Jacob, ending with Joseph. This dispensation ends with God's covenant family of some 70 moving into the land of Egypt. We note there in Genesis chapter 50, 
We see that Joseph calls for his family to move into Egypt and it's within this period of time that God builds a nation out of 70. Because it's through this nation that God provides a saviour in Jesus Christ. The book of Genesis ends with death. The death of Joseph, but a promise. Note there in verses 24 to 26 of Genesis 50, it reads, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you, and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from thence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So the book of Genesis ends with death, the death of a vision. It's often in the death of a vision that God brings life. And that's the promise within the death of Joseph, where God said via this man of God that God will visit you and God will bring you back into that land promised. And that's why many would refer to Genesis 12 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis as the age of promise, where God made a definite promise in relation to a saviour a messiah to come and this promise of a redeemer a saviour will come through the line of Israel the age of promise and thank God God keeps his promises and I'm so thankful that during this time of the year you and I can take a moment to reflect with some focus upon the provision of a saviour that was promised from Almighty God, that was promised through the line of Abraham, that all the families of the earth, that includes you and includes me, can be blessed. Blessed with what? Blessed with eternal life. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. My friend, Jesus Christ is the promised Saviour of the world. Promised through the lineage of Abraham. Born of a virgin. Was born to die. To provide redemption for you and I. This is what Christmas is all about. The fulfillment of God's promise. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. In chapters 9 to 11, we are reminded of the fact that we need to be governed. 
We need leadership. We are like sheep that are prone to stray. We need to be prepared to come under God's authority and God's delegated authority. Otherwise, there is confusion. And I'd like to challenge you this morning to allow God to govern your life. Of course, we would say, oh, well, of course God governs my life. But does he really? Does he really? We need to be governed. We need to be governed by God. And God has given us his word. This is the guidance for you and I by which God governs you and I. Are you willing to yield to his governance in your life? And also I'd like to close with a challenge concerning the fact that God keeps his promises. Quickly, let's close with a couple of verses there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse number 20 it reads, For all the promises of God... For all the promises of God in him are yea, are true, are yes, and in him, amen, under the glory of God by us. God keeps his promises. Aren't you glad? I'm glad of that fact. Because God has promised eternal life. He that has the Son has life, but I've chosen to just believe what God has said. God is not a liar. And God keeps his promises because by keeping his promises, that brings glory to God. That's what the Scriptures teach. Unto the glory of God. God's promises bring glory to our God. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Where do we find grace and peace? In Jesus Christ. In knowing Christ. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse number three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Note the absolute wording here, all things. God has provided all things to what end? For life and to live godly. Through the knowledge of him, it comes with our knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
that hath called us to glory and virtue. Look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us, note the wording, exceeding great, precious, Promise? Promise? No, promises. <laughs> promises. We have within the pages of Scripture thousands of promises. Exceeding. Great. Precious. Promises possible for you and I in the person of Jesus Christ. Promised through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, the line of King David, unto you is born in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And may God cause us to rejoice in the fact that God has kept his word. God has provided a saviour. God has kept his word thus far. And we can continue to trust God to keep his word.